Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast welcome friends today you are in for a treat with our guest becky dino who lives just outside new orleans in louisiana in the united states and becky's specialty is basically working with people who come to yoga therapy for healing, specifically for spiritual reasons. And as you'll find out in this episode, sometimes spiritual reasons can be things like being the best baseball player you can possibly be, right? There's a wide berth for how we define spirituality. Now, what Becky's forte is, and I, I cannot stress enough how important I think this is, is that we are using the lens of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra as kind of a guidebook for assessing or co-assessing with our clients what is causing them to suffer, using Patanjali's Yoga Sutra as a way to look at our habitual patterns those things that we are doing to ourselves that are causing us suffering. Using Patanjali's Yoga Sutras to create daily practices that will help us to see the ways that we are causing ourselves suffering through our patterns. And then having daily practice that helps us to cultivate the opposite. And we give some really nice examples of what a daily practice on a mental, emotional, spiritual level would look like to help people create an opposite action in their life to actually reduce the suffering. There are so many yoga therapy programs that either very, very lightly go over the Patanjali Yoga Sutra text or not at all, or maybe it's very disconnected. Like we, we have the philosophy, but then our practice has nothing to do with that philosophy of yoga. And what Becky is doing so beautifully, in my opinion, is she's really integrating the two. What's happening in our daily life, as well as our daily yoga practice, and is that informed by Patanjali's Yoga Sutra and other texts like the Bhagavad Gita, that these ancient philosophical texts are a guide for living. They're not something on the side. And so I think you'll you'll see the beautiful way in which Becky uses specifically Patanjali's Yoga Sutra as the framework or the, the lens through which she views the client and also helps the client to become empowered in their own lives and find their meaning and purpose. Why are we here? And we know that that has a cascade of mental, emotional, and even physical health benefits to find out who am I? Why am I here? What are the patterns that are holding me back? How am I sabotaging myself? 
And how could I work towards becoming the version of myself that does suffer less, that is willing to take responsibility for the habits and patterns and look deeper, look underneath? Well, why am I doing that? What what klesha is causing me to act in that way? Even though I say I don't want to have another chocolate chip cookie, I always end up with a cookie. Let's let's step back and really look at what's driving that behavior and look at it through the lens of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. And, you know, she likens it to something I'd never thought of before, but sometimes in Christianity, we have licensed healthcare, mental health professionals that are doing the work from a Bible-based viewpoint, or we have counselors who are counseling from a Buddhist perspective, right? So that's kind of what I liken Becky's work to is she's doing it from the perspective of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. And it's just a really fascinating episode. So I am so happy to share Becky Dino with you. And I think you're really going to enjoy this very, very deep conversation that we had. I am so grateful to you, Becky Dino, for joining us today to talk about a topic that we haven't discussed before. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. So nice to be with you. Certainly appreciate your having me on. I love the podcast. So I'm Mm -hmm. really grateful to be here. Yeah, Becky and I have this thing where when we find other podcasts that we love, we send them back and forth to each other. I think we're both kind of podcast freaks. (laughs) So Becky, tell us where you are in the world. I always like people to kind of be able to land with where each guest is. Yeah, so I live born and raised in Mandeville, Louisiana, which is right outside of New Orleans, uh, right across the lake. And it's a small community. And it's got a, a beautiful lake that we can watch sunsets every day, which I'm a little sunset nerd. And yeah, I've been here the whole time, forever, other than when I went to school or traveled around. Yeah. You know, I've been to Mandeville, you know, we had many years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, we had a, a module in New Orleans and I got to stay in Mandeville. So I can like just imagine the, the streets and the lakefront. It's just a beautiful little town. I think you've landed in a really, really nice place. So I feel very blessed to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And connections, you know, that you can build over time. There's something about moving to other places and seeing other things and meeting new people. And then there's something about digging a deep root, you know, in one place. And I don't think one's better or worse. I think we all have different ways of being in the world. But for me, this serves. You know, one of the things I really felt when I visited there so many years ago was the community, how people actually come together to help one another. I think it's almost rare in the world these days, but I look back at that was shortly after Hurricane Katrina. And somehow I just got this really beautiful sense of community there. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it was, it's of course more prevalent when, when there's disasters and you really see it happen, but we have a lot of disasters. Of course, now we're having disasters everywhere, but yeah. And, and there is a sense, and you know, it's the South is a little bit, it seems to me a little bit more like that because in the rural areas too, where there's a lot of community and then it brings its own problems too, with the heavy drinking around New Orleans in the community. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit of everything, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think that brings us kind of to our topic today, and that is to to really dig into you as a yoga therapist and what your niche is. And the niche that I see you fulfilling, and I'd like you to expand upon this, is people who are interested in a spiritual connection. Maybe they have a, a childhood religion that no longer resonates with them, or maybe it does, but they want something additionally. But tell us about how you got interested in working with people who are knowingly or unknowingly looking for a spiritual connection. Yeah. You know, I would have never guessed 20 years ago or 30 years ago, this was what I was going to be doing. And it's so interesting looking back, I can see how it happened, you know, but 
we don't always know the next five steps, but we know the next step, you know, and that's kind of what happened to me in terms of finding my way here. I was raised Catholic. Many people in New Orleans are Catholic, and we were more like cultural Catholics. We went to mass, but if we missed mass, it wasn't a big thing. And I did go to Catholic schools, and so I was trained a little bit in what that was, but my best friend was Jewish, and I went to synagogue with her, and this was at a time where you really didn't do that so much, and my dad, when I came home, and said, I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to convert. And he was like, oh, no, no more synagogue for you. So it was like, <laughs> you know, in that time, and now it's just so different, which is so beautiful, because mm-hmm. for me, the beauty is that it's all the same. Like the traditions that I've studied in and loved, all oh, there's so much there. It's like Huxley's perennial philosophy idea. You know, if we can just do that work, it can happen. So for me, I started out, I'd say in my 20s, I was a commercial real estate appraiser, very different path, you know, so I was running two paths at the same time. One was my vocation and I loved it and I still appreciate what it brought into my life. And then there was this avocation, which was I love to study things like astrology and Jungian psychology, Sufism and mystical Christianity and Kabbalah, and then just see how what's resonating in the same. And so I, when I got to yoga, I was like, oh, this just really put the whole piece together for me in a way that I was able to even deepen what I knew in some of those other traditions, which I just thought has been so beautiful. So that's kind of been the path for me. So let's take a small detour before we come back to your path, because What you've just said is so interesting. This perennial philosophy, kind of like all paths lead to the mountaintop. And I think there's kind of a discrepancy in the yoga and yoga therapy world. Is yoga Hinduism? Do we have to ascribe to the gods and goddesses and go into that religion? Or can we do what TKB Deskachar suggested and meet the student where they are. If they're Catholic, you can still do mantra. You can still use all the tools in the toolbox as it applies to that student. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. The whole idea is to meet them where they are. Cause I learned so much for my students too. So to see where's their numinous experiences coming from in life, you know, it's not always even about a religion or I do think that, you know, for the Vedantic scholars in, yoga, they were able to use the tools of yoga to help deepen their spiritual path. I think that's beautiful. And I think, you know, Catholics can do the same. But I also think that there's a lot of people who are not what you would call religious, because for me, they're quite different, but who are just looking to live their best life, looking to mine the beauty that's in this world, which I see in synchronicities or in maybe things that come to them through dreams to follow this path and to see what's going on. And it's different for everybody, right? And that's kind of the beauty of yoga is that it allows it to be whatever it is for you and then gives you these amazing tools on how to do that. Yeah, there's so many things that you just said that I'd love to unpack. So I'll start with this idea of spirituality versus religion, because I think so many people that land in yoga don't want the dogma of religion but they want something to hold them. They want a philosophical structure that they can kind of lean into to feel support in their lives. So what's the difference for you between spirituality and religion? Yeah, religion for me usually has an institution with it. There's some dogma with it. And for a lot of people, that's a great structure for them to follow their path. And they need that way to do it in their they're wired for that. And I think it's beautiful and fabulous because they're going to get to where they need to get in the best way, in the most efficient way for them. For some people, that dogma is problematic and they have their own way and they've maybe had numinous experiences outside of the dogma or numinous experiences outside of what they've been taught and they're searching in a different direction. And so for me, it's like, okay, what's happening here and which direction do you need to go? And so many of the people that I do work with are Catholics who have decided that this religion is not working for me anymore, primarily because of the way that they treat women and also because of the sexual scandals. And so, you know, what we try and do, because they may still have a really close connection, maybe Jesus is like their guru, you know? And I believe that. I mean, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda, when you read his, the way he looks at Jesus, of course, you know, it's not the way I was taught first to 12th grade in school. So (laughs) if if I can not throw out the baby with the bathwater and let them hold on to the pieces that were beautiful for them and then let them find their own path with that, you know, 
man, what it's just great work for 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 me to be able to walk alongside of them as they do it. They're doing the work. They're finding their path. The path is opening up for them. I don't consider myself a spiritual teacher. I just consider myself very lucky to walk beside people as they discover this for themselves. Right? What's my best place? And it changes. You know, I have people that really their religious path served them very well and they would have never gotten to another place without it. And the same, the opposite way, people who have had some experiences and then found a religious path that really set them in the direction they needed to go. So I totally trust the unfoldment. You know, I totally trust how it unfolds. Each person's going to unfold the way they're going to unfold. And that's what I love about the sutras, chapter four, you know, talking about how this property does unfold. And all we have to do is move the pieces that have to get out of the way so that it can fill in. You know, I resonate with what you're saying so much as the daughter of a Christian minister who since very early on was very interested in Eastern philosophy as well as mystic Christianity. I remember when I went to the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram, they basically said, you know, that the religion of your childhood is deep in your cells and assuming you're not traumatized and that's not going to bring up a bunch of horrible things for you. Like it's actually really good to plant yourself in that religion of your childhood, even as you do yoga therapy, because it's so deep in there, there's something like almost a blueprint. And I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. No, thank you. And then many years later, I hadn't been going to Christian church for several decades, but I walked into a Christian church. I think it was Easter Sunday and I heard the organ and I heard the songs of my childhood and I bust into tears and I was like, Oh, that's what they're talking about. Right. That there's something deep inside of us. Now my husband's Catholic. He's a recovering Catholic because he was traumatized by the nuns in school, but he would never want to do that. So I think those are two examples of what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Such a beautiful stories and examples of, of how it works and each person's going to be different. And, you know, like I said, you know, for some people, the Christianity that they're living is the Christianity that's working for them. You know, for me, I much prefer the mystical Christianity or even, you know, Richard Rohr's kind of, not his earlier stuff, you know, guys, even he'll say the ego was big, but where he's taking it with the universal Christ, because it's the same it's exactly the same. And I also, I love how Gandhi said that the Sermon on the Mount, if you only had two texts, it would be Bhagavad Gita and the Sermon on the Mount, you know? So you have this crossover piece where people understand truth, you know? And Jesus's words were truth. It's just which lens is going to kind of tell you the way. And so for me, my lens, I really love the way Parvahansi Yogananda explains Jesus as a yogi. And it all just makes so much sense and resonates with what we learn too, you know? Yeah, that it might be a little offensive to Christians to think of Jesus as a deity, just like Krishna or Buddha, or and that each of those deities has certain qualities that we can take into our heart. You know, that that's something I want to talk about is this third and fourth chapter of the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali and the way that Patanjali helps us learn to meditate. It's very specific to yoga. It's not like we do asana and then, oh, we'll go over and do some Zen Buddhist meditation or some Vipassana. You know, Patanjali has an actual format to meditation. So can you talk about that, about what is Patanjali's Raja Yoga and meditation and how does that work? Yeah, I love the third and fourth chapters of the Yoga Sutra. You know, the third chapter where he's setting us up to really understand our materiality. Like we come in and we have this material part of us, our panchamaya system, our body, our mind, our emotions, right? Our, our breath and our physiology. And then we have this deeper part of ourselves, this the part that never changes, our purusha, that is what we're, we're talking about. Like living from that place is what we're trying to do, right? And Jesus taught the same thing, right? All spiritual teachers kind of teach the same thing around that. And so in the third chapter, he's trying to get us to really understand, at least this is my take on it, really get to understand this material part of ourselves. So he will say, put your mind here, you know, and he's using the word samyama. So it's even more than just put your mind here. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not capable of some of the things that go on in the third chapter. But the idea is 
put whatever I have capability in my mind, put it here so that you understand this. And the interesting thing is he takes you through the human system one time and he's using more gross parts of our body. Like he'll say, put your attention on your throat, right? Hunger and thirst, like put your, put your attention on your navel. And so he takes you through the body in a more gross way. So you can really start to get to know that. And then once you're starting to know the body, he takes you again through the body and he's using a more subtle body, Udana. Put your attention, Udana, so that we're starting to learn to let spirit lead and not let the materiality lead, right? Because what we're trying to do is get to know our materiality, where the patterning is, because we want to learn ultimately how to choose our responses rather than have our patterns choose them for us. And so the meditation part is changing some of these patterns that might not be working for us in some way and using our object of meditation. So he lets us know using this object of meditation to help bring balance where there might not be some balance to help us bring in the qualities that maybe we might be needing to have in our system. And again, I love that this is also a cross-cultural thing because when you go into astrology, like for me in Ayurveda, I'm a pitta, like lots of heat, and I have five planets, right? In, in fire. And so, you know, you see that. You and I are little sisters. Yeah. You know, the pit is just crazy. And so, you know, here we are again, if we're using meditation and if my pit is like out of balance, I'm going to be using some cooling objects to kind of maybe a cool fall. that's kind of just waterfall coming down on my head, something that's going to start to maybe a nice cool lake. If with my pitta, I'm kind of have a little Rajas going on, ah, you know? So yeah, he, he teaches us how we can change the patterning and the materiality through the meditation, the power of the meditation. So beautiful. And I think this is where yoga therapy, the essence of transforming ourselves at the layer of Vijnana Maya, of personality, communication, perception, letting Purusha start, or as you're saying, spirit, start to allow us to kind of flow through instead of our patterning. And I don't think we realize how much the news and the things we put into our minds are actually creating patterning. You know, I have an addiction to social justice on TikTok, which you might say that's a great thing. I'm staying informed. I'm following creators that are teaching me about all sorts of things I need to know about. But when I go to bed at night, my brain flips through TikTok, TikTok. Like I can see all those pictures. I have woken up with my thumb making the the slide motion. That's what we mean by patterning. Like Everything we do, everything we feed ourselves, mentally, emotionally, physically, it creates patterns in us. Like, I don't think people realize that all these choices matter. And so what I hear you saying is, number one, becoming more conscious of those patterns, just realizing that, oh my gosh, I'm doing too much TikTok, right? And number two, through meditation, I can change those patterns and the negative effects they're having on my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think yoga offers us a lot of other ways to do that too. Like, you know, in Jungian psychology, we're looking at our shadow, right? To make it so that we can see ourselves better. And in yoga, they give us such great tools. I mean, Jung had some good tools. I mean, dreams are great tools and you have great tools too. But I love how we have the kleshas set up for us so that we can see where's this patterning that's causing us suffering. Because a lot of times we have patterns like brushing our teeth. That's not causing any suffering. It's helping out not a big deal. But where are these patterns that are causing us suffering? And we can always trace them back to what am I scared of? So you can look at TikTok, like, am I, what, is it about my identity? Is it about my attachment to knowing certain things? Is it about, you know, it, it always fits into one of those places where then we can backtrack and see where the pattern is. And we can also kind of see how we might've even gotten that pattern, right? Another thing I love about chapter three is 318, you know, where he gives us the basis for Western psychology, where he tells us, put your mind on your patterns and you will know your past, right? Mm. You'll know your past. And so that is, you know, every mental health provider is taught that in a different kind of way. But in yoga, after we're taught, you know, we have the other places we can go to the Kriya Yoga. You know, how do we start to work on these glaciers? Like we have a toolbox of a toolbox, you know? And so we know that the Yamas and the Niyamas are going to help to do this, some of this same work too. But I really do 
love the glacier work to start to see where are my patterns that are causing me problems and what's my identity that's getting in the way and how, how do I need my world to look in order for me to feel safe? What is it that I can't have myself look like or be in because I won't be safe, you know? And so we can start to really kind of see, and then we can say, oh, and I can see now where that came from, right? So now I can look at it in a different way and it's not as scary as when it's unconscious. Yeah, so much goodness in what you just said. I want to back up for a minute because you are a licensed healthcare provider in the field of mental health. And so just a little detour again, where is that line between providing psychotherapy, talk therapy, counseling in a mental health practitioner capacity versus being a yoga therapist? Because I think a lot of licensed healthcare practitioners, they kind of see like, I'm going to use the lens of psychology or physical therapy or whatever it is. And I'll put a little yoga on top. Like so I'll, I'll grab a few yoga tools to use. And, and what I hear you saying is that your actual lens of how you look at the assessment, the therapeutic plan, the rearrangement of what's causing us fear or attachment or aversion or identification or misperception. Like there's a complete shift. Your paradigm is looking through yoga sutra, not through psychotherapy with a little breathing on the side. So talk us through that. Yeah. And again, I think they're both super helpful. Mm -hmm. I think some resonate with one more than the other. I think some people would not be good yoga therapists that are great psychotherapists. For me, I started my psychotherapy training first. And again, it was like a step-by-step. I wasn't even sure why I was doing this. I mean, I had a really successful business as a pacer. Like, what am I doing? I didn't want to really be a therapist. I don't know what I was doing, but I just knew it was the next step. And then the next step, I was introduced to yoga. And I was like, okay, I don't know why I'm doing this, but it's the next step. And so, you know, it just kind of happened. And then for me, the tools of yoga work better, probably because of my lens having a little something to do with that and probably because of the tools themselves. But for me, a lot of times if people aren't willing to do yoga, I'll refer them out to a psychotherapist, you know, because I just really think that using the tools of yoga, especially with someone that they resonate with. So for someone who doesn't want to do yoga, then I think psychotherapy is great. And in the hands of a good psychotherapist, 100%, you know, I think they're both super helpful ways. And I think that they're designed sometimes for different people in different lenses. And you just want to get a match on what's going to help somebody else move forward in the way that they need to go. And with regard to spiritual work, we have a lot here. I don't know if this is around the country, but we have a lot of Christian counselors here that work really from the Bible. I mean, the Bible is like kind of, I've never taken a class in it or under, you know, I don't know much about it, but that's my take, you know? So it's just a really different way of, of looking at it. And I think they both have some good tools that we can use. And I think as yoga therapists, we really appreciate some of the tools around, at least for me, I appreciate the schooling I got around being one-on-one with people and dealing with people and connecting with people. That was super helpful training, you know, over several years to do that. And then got into the yoga therapy training. It was, I already had a background, so it became easier for me to do that, you know, so it just depends on the person, I think. But I mean, yoga sutras, there's nothing better, I don't think, for figuring out how to find meaning and purpose in your life, what you're here to do, and how to clear your mind to get there. I don't do this, okay? I'm not, I'm not doing it all the time, but, but it's my intention. Well, let's give a practical example because I think for people who are not as well versed in the yoga sutra, it it sounds a little ambiguous, right? So let's go back to this example of, I have a need to educate myself on social justice matters. Therefore I'm spending too much time on TikTok with social justice creators. And that's causing me to be agitated. It's causing me to have some rage. It's causing me to be snappy with my husband. It's causing me to not get as good as sleep because I'm doing it before I go to bed at night, right? So we can see that although the intentions are good, those patterns are bringing me out of balance. So from a yoga therapy perspective, using yoga therapy tools, I know this is kind of on the spot, but instead of talking me through that, 
what kinds of things might you suggest for me? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, I would probably want to know some things that bring the opposite of the rajasic part that's going on for you. Like what are some places where you're feeling peace? And, and, and I might explore a little bit about what you feel like when you are on TikTok or right before you get on TikTok, what are you thinking before you get on TikTok? <laughs> you know, I would explore a little bit of that too, to kind of see what the motivation is. I would also explore if there were other places where you had a similar thing, where there was something that you were very attracted to and that would you knew was putting you out of balance, but you were still doing it anyway, right? We all do it, right? The chocolate chip cookies are just like, I know once I get into them, it's just not going to be good later on that evening, but still do it, you know? So, but it's really helpful when I can come to understand what piece is there, you know, what, what was the motivating factor? And a lot of times I think it comes down to balance at that moment, right? Because usually if we're in balance and we know all of that, we don't make that choice. This is a perfect example of the patterning, choosing, rather than us having a clear lens and choosing instead of the pattern, right? And then is there another way I can get what I want to get out of being involved in social justice that doesn't bring all the negative parts too? Are there some other ways that I can explore that? You know, and then if not, if it's like, no, I just have to do this, then we go to just some shamanam, right? Like, so can we do some <laughs> pacification? Oh, some Shanti chanting. After <laughs> you can go on TikTok, but you must chant Shanti 12 times after you look at it. <laughs> we have a lot of ways to address it because a lot of times I'll give a suggestion. Someone's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Okay. You know, that's okay. That's the it's all right. We're, and we'll see. And then later on, they might start to do that. But first mm -hmm. go, nope, not going that route. Nope. TikTok every day, 11 o'clock. I'm on TikTok every day, 11 o'clock. Okay. Let's work around it. So. I'm also thinking one of the beauties of yoga therapy, I think is that you will help me or your client design a daily yoga practice for me to go inward and connect deeply to look at my attachments and my aversions and my fears. So I'm not talking about them with my prefrontal cortex. I'm actually experiencing on a daily basis what it feels like to be balanced and feel good and spacious and expansive. And then when I compare that to, ooh, how do I feel after those chocolate chip cookies or that TikTok session? I think when you do that back and forth, balance out of balance, balance, there comes a point if you do that every day, you just get sick of yourself. And then I feel more ready to look at my clashes. Like, well, what am I doing here? What am I attached to? What identity am I trying to form here? There's this kind of inner organic feeling that comes up to want to understand why I continue to eat the cookies, even though I have this other part of me that feels like, no, I don't really want that. I want to feel good in my body. What do you think of that kind of allowing the time to go back and forth and feel the out of balance? And now I'm in balance and out, you know, what do you think? Yeah. You're singing my song here for in two ways. One is starting with what you first were talking about in terms of the practice. I think the practice is so important. The daily practice for people to feel better, you know, and, and I will really work hard with that. Even if somebody, if I give them a 10 minute practice and it's too long, I'll back it up to five. I want them to do something consistent every single day, just a little bit, you know, and then so often they'll come back and say, can you add to it? You know, this is feeling really good. So there's that piece to it. And then there's the other piece around this patterning, you know, it comes back to that patterning piece. That's just always there. How are we going to be conscious of the patterns that are going on for us and how are we going to address those? And I think there's just so many ways, you know, one way with regard to this balance, one of the tools that I love to use, and you've probably even heard me say this because I just think it's such a great tool, but if we're finding ourselves not liking our spouse, maybe, or a friend or somebody that I write that down, you know, and then when I'm in a different mood, when I'm balanced, I'm like, oh, they're great. I love them. And then I can go back and read. It's diagnostic almost that when I'm mad at this person that I love 99% of the time, it's diagnostic that I'm out of balance, you know, and the same, we can say the same thing about so many things to really get that perspective. And it's helpful for me when I'm out of balance to go read when I'm in balance and say, wow. You know, look at that lens, how differently it can be. And you can do a little bit of pranayama and change the lens. I love that part in chapter four, where he's talking about 
he's in the middle of the chapter where he's really, they say he writes, he wrote that in order to refute some of the Buddhist ideas around everything just being in a mind, but it's really about perception there, right? And how are we really seeing? Because the object might be the same, like if it's my husband, he might be the same, but if I've just done pranayama, I see him differently. Or if I have just eaten a lot of chocolate chip cookies and gotten in a argument with somebody else, I see him differently. And so it's around this perception piece that we have to start to understand what's going on in our minds and why why are we seeing the world like this today and we see the world a different way and how we can co-create the reality we live in when we're balanced. It's a different reality, you know? I think the sutras offer a lot about that and that to me is so spiritual, right? How do I co-create the way that I'm in this world? I am loving everything you're saying that the objects in our life, whether it's our job or our spouse, they don't change. We change. And noticing how I'm changing hour by hour, that's the work of yoga. And it's not to shame myself or it's not to take responsibility. Like if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it doesn't mean, oh, put up with that and work on yourself. I I don't think that's what Patanjali is saying. Clarity means you might need to get out of that relationship. But in general, I think a lot of people don't realize how much their prakriti is shifting from day to day, causing them to see things in a particular way, right? Yeah, totally. And we know those gunas shift constantly, you know, and he tells us that too, right? How often they change. And so part of that chapter three work is getting to know our own gunas and how they shift. And part of chapter four work is how do we start to let that unfoldment happen in a way that we're not going to control it, but we can have some influence over how that unfoldment is going to be, you know? And then we have our other tools of connection, like when we're in balance and we're able to connect and we have the guidance of which direction to go, you know, and how do we know that it's not just our ego talking and how do we know that it's knowing that's talking, you know, and you, you, after, over time, you start to learn, just like I, you start to learn if you're in balance or out of balance. What am I hearing? And the out of balance voice is the one that says, go get those chocolate chip cookies. Go get those chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and it wins sometimes, you know. It, it often wins. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you should say this because, you know, we have this new Optimal State app on the iPhone store as well as Android store. Mm-hmm. And it's but my husband this morning, he brought his app up and he wanted to show me his data. And he, he went to the, the six to 10 AM hour. He's like, look how much gold I have. And look at 10 AM to 2 PM. Look how much gold I have. And then look at 2 PM to 6 PM and the white, cause it's tracking his pattern over the, like the last month. Right. He said, oh my God, I'm white, 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 meaning very out of balance in the Vata direction in the afternoon. And I said, well, what it, what's happening in the afternoon that's causing you to get out of balance in Vata between 2 and 6 p.m.? And he said, I think that's when I have my caffeine for the day, right? And he thought it was a good thing to not have it first thing in the morning. But through that tracking of his gunas, he realized like that's not serving him. Wow, that's pretty cool. I think the app is amazing to help people to be able to see some things they're not seeing because it's easier to see when we're in balance, but it's a little harder sometimes to see when we're not in balance. And to have that data there just really showing what's going on, it's such a wonderful tool. And I, I love it that our clients could just put in, here's how I'm feeling and bring their data to a yoga therapist who understands the gunas as well as Ayurveda to help them figure out like, oh, those two afternoon cups of chai are not serving us as a habitual pattern. Yeah. And even if it's something at work that they have to do, not something they have a choice about, to have some tools to help balance that out. You know, maybe the meeting that they really hate to have is at three o'clock. Well, what can I do before I go in the meeting? And what can I do after I get out of the meeting to kind of mitigate that a little bit? Yeah. So Becky, this work that you're doing, what are some reasonable outcomes that people could expect if they worked with you? I, I see that you have a, a really simple and beautiful website, which I'm going to pull up in a minute here to show everybody called beckydino.com. But you know what, if someone came to you and said, I, I think I want to try yoga therapy, 
but what can I expect? What are the reasonable outcomes? What would you tell them? Yeah. You know, I would say, first of all, it's going to depend upon how much work you're willing to put into, you know, this, it's not easy work coming to terms with our clashes, coming to terms with our shadow parts. It's not always super easy to do that, but we know, I mean, like Gayatri, right? Gayatri is about taking the clouds away from the sun. You know, what are those clouds? Those are our clashes. So in order for us to get to the part where we're really hearing that voice, where we're really, you know, there sometimes has to be a little bit of work there. I also really believe that it's available all the time. And so how do, are we going to be able to connect into that? So my hope is that working with me, you start to get, or working with anyone who's going to take you down, you know, this is just yoga therapy, right? With a little different lens. It's, it's just the same as we're all doing in the work. It's just that my lens is really toward looking at the spiritual piece. But, and I think most yoga therapists are like that, but it's like, how am I going to be in this world knowing my meaning and purpose a little bit more and following that and feeling like I'm doing my Dharma. That's the part that that's the goal for me, even though I shouldn't, I'm not attached to the outcome, but you know, that's the goal that I want for people. And with that, there's less suffering anyway. Right. And it's healing, you know, because for me, it's love. Right. And so we're connecting to love. A connection is super important to me. I'm a number two on the Enneagram. And so it's just connection, connection to myself, connection to others, connection to the universe, connection that we're all really one. Right. We really are all one. That's the real reality. But we live in this duality. Right. And so when we can kind of hopefully see that piece that both realities are real. And how do I live in the place where I know we're all one and I'm connected to that? whatever that is for somebody. That's my hope, you know? So what I find fascinating is that some people go to a Buddhist counselor, like you said, some get Christian counseling. And and what I'm hearing you describe is, is very much like that, right? But that the focus is helping that person find their meaning and their purpose, their dharma, or even their svadharma. And what the research is showing is that when people get connected to their meaning, purpose, and reason for being here, things like inflammation goes down, blood pressure goes down, pain goes down. Like what's fascinating to me is through this yogic counseling, if you will, with a daily practice, we see all these other health benefits. I find that fascinating. Even after 25 years of this, I'm still kind of amazed by how the mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of us are so directly connected to our physical health outcomes. Yeah. For me, the way that I kind of look at that is it brings you into balance with who you are and yourself. And so when the pieces are in balance, there isn't pain. Everything's in balance. As we know, if one part's out of balance, we can put a tool. If we can use it on one layer of the system, it works on all the layers of the system. So if we get to that deepest level of connection to all, it's bringing balance to all the other parts of the system, right? The other thing is that unfoldment is different for everybody. Like some are not meant to have what we're talking about is spiritual connection. It might just be like, I like to look at where people are finding numinous experiences. What's moving them in life? Where are they seeing synchronicities in life? Where's their grace around them? You know, all of that. And, and a lot of times people are like, what, huh? And then I just ask them, pay attention, pay attention, bring me your dreams. Let's look at what's going on and see you're just, the path is there and it's unfolding. It's just that you have to kind of clue in to that radio station, you know, it's there all around you happening, trying to get your attention. Just what can we do to clue you in? What are the tools that we can use to get you there? I told this story many times before, but I used to work with a baseball player who was atheist and his meaning and purpose and what gave him peace was spring baseball season where you're stepping out onto the field. The grass is green and wet. The clouds are white and puffy floating across the sky. And he hears like the, the bat smacking against the ball. And he hears his teammates yelling things in the background, you know, go to first or whatever it is that brought him so much connection and meaning and peace. You could just see all the layers of his system just completely become pacified and soothed. So I think that's what you're saying. It doesn't have to be 
religious or even spiritual. I mean, although some people might say that experience he's having is a spiritual experience, he probably wouldn't say that. Yeah, I totally believe that, you know, and sometimes people are like, well, you know, is my meaning and purpose to be president of the United States? Like, it's not necessarily anything big at all. It's like in that space where you're doing your part in this universe that we don't know the whole tapestry. Like, we don't know the influence that it's having on others. We don't know that influence of him. Maybe someone just looking at his joy. Maybe in, in what he's doing is really changing another life. Even, you know, the other sutras tell us in 2-1, this is how you do your action and let you, you clear yourself. You make sure that you've cleared yourself as best you can. It's also how you get rid of the poison, right? And then you take the action and you don't worry about what's going to happen because you trust that it's going to be the way it needs to be if you've done your part. And so that's the whole way to live life, if you want to call it spiritual, it doesn't mean that you're connected to a deity. It doesn't mean that you go to church. It, you know, it just means that you're living your life in a way that you're having some trust that there's this unfoldment. And hey, what am I supposed to do every day? What is my part in this unfoldment of this life? I think that's so important to point out because as you've stated a few times today, we don't even know where we're going. We kind of point ourselves in a direction on a journey that we think we're having clarity and sometimes we're not having clarity and we we kind of maneuver through co-creating our experience and sometimes we can feel very lost like where the hell am i in this journey or how did i get on this path and i think teaching people to trust that it's unfolding in a way that's going to be okay. And you can trust yourself to take the next step. I, I think if we can help people learn to do that, that's like the key to life. Don't you think? I do. And I think a lot of people, when you have them look back at their lives, to even see what unfolded, they can kind of see there's been an unfoldment, even if they haven't thought about that, you know, and even if it's gone in a direction that maybe there's not clarity around it yet, but maybe can you see it in your mom? Can you, you know, do you, what do you see happen? It's not that we know it's not, you know, I don't believe in fate. You know, I believe that you come in with the chart with your possibilities. These are the possibilities and you have choice about, you know, this is my belief. You have choice about how you're going to deal with these oppositions and these more challenging ones and where you're going to have ease in your triangles, you know? And so I think that it's up to us to, we come in with this dharma that we are meant to do and we have choice in doing it. And sometimes we'll be able to, Sometimes we may not, so, you know, sometimes there's challenges that we maybe can't meet, but we can look at those and learn from them, right? And maybe that was just the way it was supposed to unfold. So we'll think from our way of looking at it, oh, it's not unfolding the way I want, but we don't know that whole picture either. Mm. And so many times people will say, if, if I really fought hard to not have this happen, and then it happened, and now it's the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. yeah, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And you know, the, the clients I tend to get are the ones who feel like they're just don't know which direction to go. And so I think the first steps before we even go in any direction is to self-connect, to just learn how to bring your senses inward, how to quiet your mind, how to be with yourself comfortably without a lot of pain and suffering boiling up. Although if that happens, we have tools for that, but like just knowing that self-connection as Patanjali talks about is really all you need to do. The the rest is going to unfold because if you're staying connected to self, you'll know what to do when certain situations arise. Yeah, totally agree. You know, sitting in your own true nature. It's not always easy, but there's a step-by-step process of doing that. And it's a trauma where you can, I'm a little better today than yesterday, or, you know, I get, I, I, oh my gosh, I'm all the way back here, but it doesn't take as long to get here. There's this trust that I'm moving in this place of self-connection. And I believe that in this unfoldment of who we are, like psyche is always trying to bring us to wholeness. There's a part of us that's working on getting us to wholeness. Mm-hmm. So if we can just be aware of that piece and knowing that just being trusting that there is a part that's trying to get us there. And if we can do our part to help it and just, be aware of where we're sabotaging too. I mean, I often have people who might be sabotaging in some way and then just come into awareness around that. I do use a lot of dream incubation. I love that Patanjali tells us the same thing in that section of the sutras where he's given us the rules on how to calm the mind, right? And so sometimes if we're just not able to get it, 
if we incubate a dream with a little bit of a ritual and ask, you know, and go to sleep and see what might happen, sometimes we'll get something that's beyond our conscious mind. Just like chanting, you know, chanting so beautiful way to get beyond this conscious mind. And then something else might come if you journal after that or if you're going to have your meditation after that. We just have these different ways that we can kind of trick the mind when it's like saying, I'm not getting it and this didn't work and and I'm not unfolding and whatever. Just trying some different things. I'm kind of going through this right now, Becky, as you know, after my tongue cancer diagnosis and treatment, I feel like I'm in this year-long waiting period to see if it's going to come back. And it's a very uncomfortable place to be. Like, I don't feel like I can plan anything. And I, it just, I feel like I'm sitting in this liminal space, not able to do anything. So what I'm training my mind to do is go inward and connect and just ask, is there anything I need to know? Is there anything I'm missing without an agenda? And so training myself day after day, hour after hour, sometimes every 10 minutes to go inward, connect, breathe, feel, ask, and then move back out into my day and get productive again. Like, whoo, I don't know what I would do without these yoga tools. Like, I really don't know what I would do if I didn't know how to do that over and over and over again. Yeah, that's such a beautiful practice that what you're talking about is such a beautiful practice, right? Do you ever just pinch yourself and thank the divine for finding this path? all the time, you know, every day, because I do a lot of that same kind of stuff. Like when, you know, when, when I get thrown a a little loop during the day or something, you know, the first thing I do is get, go to a practice, even if it's a one minute, even if it's just something super simple to clear the mind in a little way. So I can, what's the pattern here? Why is this getting me upset? You know, check in what's going on, bring me back into the present moment, right? Because it's all in the present moment too. So yeah, totally, totally super grateful. And, and, you know, and that's why what we try and do is move those teachings forward, right? If everyone in the world was doing yamas and niyamas, it would be great. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to the end, but you, you wrote something to me that I really want to finish with because I just think it's such a beautiful way of being in the world. You, you said, if you are feeling a call to a deeper spiritual connection, follow that. And then you said, I love the saying, yearning is the prayer. I think so many times when we're yearning or longing, it has a tenderness and a rawness and it kind of hurts a little bit for some people. I wouldn't think of that as a prayer. I would think of that as something's missing that I have to fill my hungry ghost, you know? But what do you mean by that yearning is prayer? Yeah. So, you know, the idea here is this, if you're, if your belief system is in the divine, you know, if that's what you believe, that, and in so many traditions, and I believe this too, the divine wants us as close to and being a part of it as we want. And so that's the prayer, like, let it, here I am open and ready to be a part, to hear what's my dharma. The yearning to be connected to the divine is the prayer, mm. right? heard by the divine as prayer, because here I am, your will, not mine. And I know that my will is just because of my patterning and my panchamaya, the will of the universe is the will that is for everyone because we're all one. So that's the peace, you know? So that's my prayer is that I can hear the call of the one and follow that. And so it's my yearning. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So the prayer is divine, keep me close to you, help mirror my mind to your qualities. Yeah. And that in some way, that is the yearning. In some way, there's a reciprocity piece Mm. going on in there, you know? You know, from Sankhya, what we know is there's been this incarnation, spirit into matter, and we're living it forward, right? So we're participating in this, both of us are participating in this together. Yeah. It's just a mystery. Like there's, there's kind of this format and Patanjali lays out this guidebook for daily living, if you will. And here's the eight limb path. Here's Kriya yoga. Here's yamas and niyamas. We have all this structure, but then within that, 
we are expected to participate in our own lives. There's an equal balance of surrender to the unknown and to all the things that could happen. And then there's, as you say, it's our job to yearn and be open to that co-creation of our own lives. Yeah. And take action, right? I mean, we know that from the Bhagavad Gita and we know that from Kriya Yoga 2.1. Like we're here to take action of our dharma, right? But to just try and be as clear as we can about what that might be and to have it, for me, have it be resonant with what's the intention for all, right? I mean, I, I fall short of that a lot. You know, my patterning gets in the way, but that's the intention. I keep hearing in my lessons with the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandaram and Nrithya that the paradigm that yoga and Patanjali's Yoga Sutra was set in is that we are part of something larger than ourselves. We are part of a community. We are part of a spiritual tradition. We're not just doing this as a self-improvement exercise to make me feel better, but that oneness was assumed. They didn't talk about it in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra because it was just so obvious and assumed that that's where we're headed. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And what I love about the sutras is that they're layered, right? Because I think they are here to make us feel better. And I think there's this other piece. And I think that's the same thing with chapter three, right? So if these cities, some people, for some people, they're not real. They're just, they're metaphorical. But for others, it's the capacity that the mind will have when the mind gets outside of its pattern space, right? So again, layered in a different way. And I do think that the Patanjali, of course, we use he and we use Patanjali, and we don't know if it was several people together, or a community or a woman. We don't really know, but you know, just the Patanjali really just saw so much of the whole piece, like the individual, like you can do the other sutras and you don't have to believe anything. It's just a manual to help you live a better life. Mm-hmm. Or you can use it as a, a way, a, a text that's going to help me connect spiritually and be very connected to my dharma and maybe find out that I can do amazing things, whatever it might be, maybe become a yogi in some way. So yeah, it's, just, it's, it's all of it. So beautiful. I love that it's so expansive and yet so practical yeah. and that you can practice Yoga Sutra with any other religion or ag- be an agnostic or be an atheist. Like it's all okay all okay. And it's got tools for all of that, just to help you do better in whatever way you feel like you're wanting to be in this life, you know, yeah. or you're called to be. Yeah. Is there any last words of wisdom or anything that you feel we didn't get to that you really wanted to talk about today? Or do you feel complete? No, I feel, I feel complete. I really appreciated being here and talking about what I love to talk about. Right. Mm. <laughs> Well, I think this is a great episode because in my opinion, when I look around at all the different yoga therapy schools, I'm not sure all of them are as strong in yoga sutra as the way that you're explaining it today as an integral part of yoga therapy. I think sometimes we learn Indian philosophy, Bhagavad Gita, Hatha Yoga, Pradipika, whatever. It's kind of on the side, like we're going to do all this interoceptive awareness and we're going to rattle off the eight limbs of yoga, but the integration isn't there with the care plan and developing a daily practice and really using the Yoga Sutra as a paradigm through which to help this person suffer less. So you're really hitting something that's dear, dear to my heart. I really feel like we're missing a big opportunity as yoga therapists. I mean, that is yoga therapy comes from the yoga sutras. It's yoga. And it's something that the other professions don't have. And, and we do. It's what we bring to the table that's so unique. And yet I agree with you. In a lot of cases, it's not being used in that way. And I do think that I, that's why I like a collaborative team too, because I do think that it's good to have different practitioners working in different aspects of a person's life and healing and all of that. But for us to, to be having yoga therapists that don't know yoga sutras, that is one of my little issues. And maybe it's because I know my lens is I love the philosophy. And so I've studied the philosophy. So I get that part, but that's my own little piece that I do think it's important to at least know the basics of the sutras if we're going to be yoga therapists. Could not agree more. <laughs> Thank you for hitting that point home. 
Well, Becky, it's been really lovely to spend this time with you this morning. People can get a hold of you and your website is beckydino.com. That's B-E-C-K-Y-D-E-A-N-O.com. And I'm pulling it up online for those of you who are watching this on YouTube. You can see Becky's website. And if you feel inspired to talk to her, you know, there's contact information there. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been great being with you. Appreciate it. Just like a little visit. I love having a little visit with you. I know. It's fun. I want to thank Becky for joining us today and just giving us so many stimulating things to think about. And what I loved most about this conversation was this idea that the philosophy of yoga is not something out there. It's actually something that can become very integrated into every single practical aspect of our daily living, that it's a foundation for how to look at the world, how to look at who am I, how to look at why am I here, what is my purpose, that it gives us this beautiful framework not just for enlightenment. I think a lot of people look at a text like Bhagavad Gita or Patanjali's Yoga Sutra as a way for spiritual enlightenment. But what Becky is talking about and what she has learned from her teachers at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram and also teachers here in the US is that these things, even in chapter three of the Yoga Sutra that Patanjali has talked about, many people see chapter three as kind of irrelevant to yoga therapy because it's about Siddhi powers, S-I-D-D-H-I, not Siti, C-I-T-Y, but Siddhi powers, special powers. And the way that this tradition views that is those aren't special powers like becoming invisible or reading people's mind or traveling through space and time or understanding what's happened in the past or predicting what will happen in the future. I think that's the way that many people interpret chapter three. And therefore they think, well, what could that have to do with yoga therapy? But the way that we've been taught is that all of that is very practical, very real, very applicable to your daily relationships. And that's the gift, I think, of what Deskachar brought is he brought it down to earth. You're not trying to figure out how to do this special meditation practice to have telepathy so you can cheat the stock market or something. No. How is it that you can be so present to yourself and to the other person that you're wanting to connect with and sustain a relationship with that your mind and their mind almost start to understand each other without words. That's the practical application, right? And what is it that we need to do in our daily practice to go inward, to take our senses inward, to quiet our mind, to connect deeply inside of ourselves, to be able to to then link with another person where our minds are kind of working as one. You know, I have this funny thing that my dad and I, we laugh because every time I'm going to call him or he's going to call me and we just have a blip, like, hmm, I should call the other one. Within 30 seconds, the phone rings and then he'll say something like, you were thinking of me or so you want to talk? <laughs> and we just crack up laughing every time because it's so true. It's every single time one of us even thinks about the other one, the other one knows to call. And so now we're at this point where we're like, do we even need a telephone anymore? Couldn't we just like think through the ether? We haven't gotten there yet. But the point is that is something like telepathy, right? That's something like what Patanjali is talking about that my heart is so deeply connected to my dad that even him having the desire to talk to me sends me a signal that you need to call dad right now. That's a beautiful practical skill for my life, right? So that's what we're talking about. And, you know, to this point of many yoga teacher training programs and yoga therapy programs have not 
been able to offer a word-by-word translation of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, chapters one through four, that is very applicable and not so etheric, not so much about when you get to enlightenment, right? To have teachers that have trained us to go word by word through the Yoga Sutra and really understand that framework and that paradigm so that we can help people help themselves to suffer less. That is a gift. That is a beautiful gift. So one of the things I want to let you know is that in the Optimal State Yoga and Yoga Therapy School, we do have videos of all four chapters of the Yoga Sutra with workbooks, word by word breakdown in a very applicable way. And so there's many teacher training programs and yoga therapy training programs that actually buy kind of a bulk rate discount to be able to offer that to their students because they don't feel super qualified to teach that material. And then sometimes we'll do a follow-up with kind of get-togethers and and talking through and answering kind of a Q&A type thing. So I just want to put that out there that that is available through the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School. If you'd like to add that supplement to your current school, or maybe you just like to take those courses for your own knowledge, you know, anyone can go on the website and purchase that. So I wanted to put that out there because I know when I was first going through my very first 200 hour teacher training program, they didn't even mention the yoga sutras. And looking back, I I kind of think now that maybe they didn't feel qualified or didn't feel secure enough to, to dive into something like that. So we have it for you if that's something you need. And we can even set you up with a teacher to have those Q&A sessions too, if that's something that you'd like to add on. So give us a call at uh, Optimal State and we'll we'll see if we can help you out. All right, everybody have a great week and we will talk next week. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content and that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.